0: Welcome to Onyx's third quarter 2020 conference call. During the presentation, all participants will be in listen-only mode. Afterwards, we will conduct a question and answer session. At that time, if you have a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. If at any time during the conference you need to reach the operator, please press star then zero. As a reminder, this conference is being recorded. I would now like to turn the conference over to Ms. Jill Hominuk, Managing Director, Shareholder Relations and Communications at Onyx. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good morning, everyone, and thanks for joining us. We're broadcasting this call on our website. Hosting the call today are Bobby LeBlanc and his first shareholder call since being named Onyx President in August and Chris Govan, our Chief Financial Officer. Other members of the team are joining for the Q&A session. Earlier this morning, we issued our third quarter 2020 press release, MD&A, and consolidated financial statements, which are available on the shareholder section of our website, and have also been filed on CDAR. Our supplemental information package is also available on our website. As a reminder, all references to dollar amounts on this call are in US, unless otherwise stated. I must also point everyone to our webcast presentation for our usual disclaimer and cautionary factors relating to any forward-looking statements contained in today's presentation and remarks. With that, I'll now turn the call over to Bobby.
1: Good morning. Thank you for joining us and welcome, Jill, to your first Onyx shareholder call. Onyx reported net earnings in the third quarter of $501 million or earnings per share of $5.29. Net earnings on a segmented basis were $515 million or $5.39 per share. Overall, it was a very good quarter for Onyx in an operating environment that continues to adapt to the evolving COVID-19 situation. Investing capital per share grew 11% quarter over quarter. It is now 8% higher than where it was at the end of 2019. This increase reflects the strength and diversification of our investment platforms, a continuing recovery in both our PE and credit portfolios, as well as the attractive investment we've made in buying back our shares. Across all Onyx platforms, we are executing on targeted strategies, setting us up well for strong future investment and financial performance. We are focused on value generation for our shareholders, limited partners, and clients who invest with us. I'll now provide some highlights from each of our business segments. Within private equity, we are actively working with our companies while continuing to look for opportunities to create value and deploy capital where we see long-term growth potential, particularly in our core verticals. This quarter, OP4 extended its recent momentum, ending the period with a net IRR of 7%. We are steadily approaching the threshold where we'll start earning value from carried interest. This quarter's progress was driven by strong performance at our public companies, as well as Park Dean and Power School. OP5 deployment is on pace at 43% invested, with two recently announced investments, both in areas leveraging Onyx's sector strengths. In October, we announced a pending majority investment in One Digital, a market leading employee benefits insurance broker for small and medium sized businesses in the U.S. One Digital operates in an industry that we know well, and we were impressed with management's ability to continually grow. This transaction is expected to close in Q4. Similarly, in September, we closed on our acquisition of independent clinical services. ICS is another good example of Onyx investing in a sector where we have broad and deep experience targeting a business with a strong and proven value offering. Turning to our team, we were pleased to announce the promotions of Nigel Wright, and Topic Papatia to senior managing directors of Onyx Partners in recognition of their investing track records, leadership qualities, and longstanding contributions. Congratulations to both of them. Before moving to our credit business, I wanted to touch quickly on our travel events and leisure investments. All of these businesses have made tough but necessary decisions in recent months to reduce their operating costs and improve their liquidity during a period of unprecedented uncertainty caused by the global pandemic. We are grateful for their efforts and remain confident in their prospects as conditions recover. In our credit business, growth areas that we identified pre-COVID, including opportunistic credit, have increased in relevance with the current market environment. We have made a number of senior hires and will continue to have select hiring in targeted areas, contributing to future AUM growth. The margins of the credit business will be muted as we build out the team. However, as our AUM grows in this segment, you should expect to see our margins improve substantially. Credit markets continue to recover in the third quarter, with both the high yield and leveraged loan indices recouping almost all of their losses from the first quarter. Contributing factors to this recovery were the continued monetary and fiscal support, solid earnings from issuers in both markets, as well as investors searching for income due to lower investment grade and government bond yields. Honest Credit continues to add new investors across strategies. Recently, we priced our 20th U.S. CLO, and the transaction was supported by a diverse global group of more than 20 investors, including three new equity investors. Almost two-thirds of the CLO equity was taken up by third-party investors which meaningfully improves Onyx's all-in return on capital. Our wealth management team at Gluskin has also been investing for the future. Just as we've added new capabilities by hiring new team members, we continue to deliver increasingly in-demand alternative strategies to our clients, thanks to our ability to leverage the broader Onyx platform. Gluskin clients' allocation to Onyx credit strategies and private equity totaled $570 million quarter-end. Onyx Corporation's balance sheet remains strong. As always, we maintain liquidity to fund future commitments while having the flexibility to be opportunistic and agile in other areas of deployment. This quarter, we return more capital to shareholders through buybacks, repurchasing over 6.3 million shares at what we believe is a very attractive valuation. While we remain in what is largely a work from home environment, our team continues to demonstrate the flexibility and entrepreneurial spirit that is core to Onyx's culture. I'm proud of how the team has adapted and also in how we're supporting our communities. Through Onyx Cares, our employee directed donation program, we've donated approximately $1.1 million to more than 130 charities since the start of COVID. In summary, Q3 was a good quarter for Onyx, building on our momentum from Q2, and I feel confident in our team's ability to deliver strong performance in a recovering economic environment. We do plan to provide additional details on performance expectations across our platforms during our Q4 call as we look ahead to 2021. With that, I'll pass it to Chris for more on the financials.
2: Thanks, Bobby, and good morning, everyone. Onyx reported net earnings of $501 million or $5.29 per share in Q3, bringing us into a net earnings position on a year to date basis at $133 million or $1.36 per share. Q3 segment earnings were $515 million or $5.39 per share and $152 million or $1.55 per share for the nine months ended September 30th. Our segment results were driven by our investing segment, which contributed $492 million this quarter. Onyx results in Q3 reflect both improved underlying equity and credit markets with the S&P 500 up nearly 9% and the CS Leverage Loan Index returning over 4%, but also importantly, the strength and diversification of our underlying portfolios and the ability of our portfolio companies and their management teams to navigate market conditions. Let's start by looking more closely at Onyx's PE portfolio. Q3 included a net mark-to-market gain from private equity investing of $457 million. This gain represents a gross quarterly return of 14%, reflecting value increases across much of the portfolio. As was the case with the public markets in Q3, the value increases in our portfolio were broad-based. As a reminder, Onyx's PE portfolio is made up of 38 separate businesses with no cross-collateralization. This slide details the allocation of the portfolio by industry segment at the end of Q3. Of these eight segments, five contributed double-digit returns in the quarter. The strong portfolio performance in the quarter was led by the business services segment, with a 24% mark-to-market gain in the quarter, contributing over $260 million to segment income. Additionally, our industrial portfolio companies continued their strong recovery from Q1 lows, led in the quarter by an increase in the share price for Geldwin, as well as positive contributions across the entire industrial's portfolio. You'll notice that we've once again provided a breakdown of our PE portfolio by COVID exposure. We continue to see strong value gains in the low to positive exposure category, by far the largest by value. This quarter, we also saw good performance in the demand supply headwinds category with the group now down only 11% year to date. And we're seeing overall stabilization in the direct exposure group with value up 11% this quarter. Although there continues to be uncertainty across many sectors in the economy, particularly with the recent escalation of COVID cases in North America and Europe, We feel confident knowing almost 60 percent of onyx's pe exposure continues to be in businesses where we believe the pandemic has either a low or positive impact the nearly 2.5 billion dollars at work in these investments continues to provide onyx a meaningful hedge against covid related headwinds our credit investments had modest mark-to-market gains in the quarter following a big bounce back in Q2. For the first nine months of the year, our credit investments continue to be down about 11% on a mark-to-market basis relative to a 1% decrease in the CS Leverage Loan Index, reflecting the structural leverage employed in our strategies. In light of the COVID-related impacts on the underlying portfolio of loans, we no longer expect our current CLO investments to reach the low double-digit IRRs originally targeted. However, we do expect these CLOs to provide a meaningful positive return overall and certainly attractive forward returns from today's marks. We continue to watch our CLO's exposure to triple C-rated loans and the resulting impact on the interest diversion test. The underlying metrics continue to stay well above lows experienced at the end of April and all our CLOs met the test for purposes of the upcoming Q4 distributions. Q3 also brought some early signs of the AUM growth expected from the meaningful investments we've made in the Onyx credit team this year. We completed fundraising for the Onyx Senior Loan Opportunity Fund and launched a strategy focused on investing in third-party CLOs. Onyx participated in both committing $150 million in aggregate. We're excited about the opportunity to deploy Onyx's capital alongside our limited partners in these new strategies managed by a team with a strong track record in the space. Overall, shareholder capital was down from December 2019 in absolute terms, but much of that decrease reflects $441 million used to repurchase Onyx shares. On a per share basis, shareholder capital was up over $4.50, driven by an 8% year-to-date increase in investing capital per share. The composition of Onyx's capital has remained relatively unchanged this year with private equity, credit, and cash representing 63, 10, and 26% of hard NAV, respectively, very similar to the allocation at year end. The stable allocation was primarily the result of realizations from private equity being deployed to repurchase shares. Year-to-date, realizations totaled just over $580 million from our private equity investments, primarily from secondary sales of SIG and Clarivate. And our credit investments returned $60 million, including $50 million of regular quarterly CLO distributions. On the investing front, we've put $325 million to work in attractive PE investments post-COVID, including an incremental investment in RSG of $108 million, as well as investments in Emerald and ICS via Onyx Partners 5. Through Onyx Credit, we put just over $110 million to work in the first nine months of the year, including $55 million in CLOs and related warehouses as well as $47 million in the newly launched strategies I described earlier. Throughout Q3, we continued to buy back Onyx shares at an attractive discount, driving incremental value for our continuing shareholders. In total, during Q3, we utilized about $300 million to repurchase over 6.3 million shares at an average price of just under Canadian $63 per share giving full value to our cash and publicly traded investments, our average repurchase price implies a discount to the private investments of about 55%, and that's without giving any value to the asset manager. The discount in which we bought back the shares immediately benefited our continuing shareholders, resulting in a 2% increase in investing capital per share in the quarter. On a year-to-date basis, our share buybacks resulted in a 4% increase in investing capital per share. Lastly, before turning the call over to Q&A, I'll spend a few minutes on the asset and wealth management segment. It generated net earnings of $23 million, or 22 cents per share, in Q3. The year-over-year increase in net earnings was driven by P.E., and in particular, a net improvement in carried interest income on a mark-to-market basis of $34 million. This was partially offset by a reduction in PE management fees, which trended down as realizations reduced the fee basis in our fully invested funds. As Bobby mentioned, OP4 is getting very close to the threshold to generate carried interest. And with $3.6 billion of LP capital, carried interest from OP4 could be a meaningful contributor to segment earnings in the coming quarters. Contributions from our credit manager and the wealth management business were both impacted this quarter by continued investment in strategic growth, which we expect to benefit future segment earnings. The credit manager contributed $1 million in Q3, continuing to reflect upfront investments we're making to build out the team and position the platform to meaningfully grow outside of CLOs and senior loans. As we raise fee paying capital across these new strategies, we expect credit's profit margin to trend towards historical levels. In wealth management, the net contribution decreased by $6 million year over year. In addition to investments made, earnings were impacted by lower AUM as well as lower management fees as we continue to align rates to be more competitive. On an LTM basis, asset and wealth management segment earnings increased by $29 million year over year or 29 cents per share. This was primarily driven by the full year contribution from Gluskin Chef and a lower net reversal of carried interest. Looking forward, Onyx's run rate annual management fees are $294 million, $183 million from private equity, $59 million from Gluskin's public equity and debt strategies, and $52 million from Onyx Credit.
3: We'd now be happy to take any questions. Certainly, ladies and gentlemen, if you have a question at this time, please press star than 1 on your touchstone telephone. If your question has been answered and you'd like to remove yourself from the queue, please press the pound key. Our first question comes from the line of Nick Preep from CIBC. Your question, please. Okay,
4: uh, good morning. I just wanted to go back to the buyback discussion. I think you've repurchased about 10% of your stock year-to-date. Uh, you know, The average price has been in the low $60 range, so is, is the inference there that we should expect this pace of buybacks to continue, or, you know, would you become constrained at some point based on either, you know, your commitment to the fund or targeted cash balance at the corporate level?
1: Hey, Anthony, you mind handling that one? Sure. So
4: so the governor on our share
1: purchasers, purchases are dictated by the uh, rules regarding the TSX buyback. Uh, in in terms of percentage of float. Uh, We we have the ability to buy back 10% of our float in any given year. As you may recall, the commencement of our NCIB is uh, April 17th. That's when we renew our our bid for the year and it's outstanding for the whole uh, year uh, from that point. And so we are limited uh beyond what we've purchased today to approximately just under 600,000
2: shares and then come next year we'll renew it again and we'll be subject to the to the rules then for the following 12-month period so that's essentially how you should
4: think about it okay okay um and and just going back to um the investment returns in the credit business i think uh chris you indicated that your returns on clo equity uh, are no longer expected to achieve that low double-digit return that you'd initially targeted. So, you know, what are you modeling or expecting internally there? You know, how, how big should we expect the variance to be relative to that previous target?
2: Yeah, um, Nick, I think wh- where, we're, where we're headed is, is expecting kind of uh, ultimate returns from that portfolio to be now in the mid to high single digits. Uh, you know, so sort of think 7 8%. Um, based upon our current modeling and our current marks, um, versus that 12% that we would have originally targeted and modeled across that portfolio, um, and, and of course, as you know, that, that that's just purely the return on equ- on the equity investment. Uh, when you think about the return on the on the capital, including the
4: fees, it's obviously much more attractive than that. Got it. Okay, and then. What about the performance of the credit platform on a relative basis? Like it looks like, you know, the default rate has predictably increased in the leveraged loans market. Uh, I presume there's been a concentration of defaults in spaces like energy and retail, which I think you've avoided in the past. Can you just give us a read on, you know, the relative performance of your credit strategies through, uh, through you know, this stressed environment?
2: Sure. Um, I think the, the best way to think about that really is, is the performance of the underlying CLO uh, portfolio. And I think interestingly, um, you know, this ties into the lower returns on equity to some extent. Um, You know, we had, I think, a very well-managed and and relatively um, creditor-friendly portfolio, uh, which is part of the reason our equity returns have been dampened, Um, that, you know, wasn't as aggressive a portfolio as perhaps some others. So, you know, there are industry rankings out there um, for CLO managers, And and when you look at that, uh, those rankings, like today, um, uh, Onyx credit is in the second quartile in terms of um, the the percentage of their portfolio that's uh, rated triple C or worse. Um, And and they're in the first quartile as it relates to the actual number of defaults over time. Um, So we we think that, you know, obviously it's a a stressed environment uh, or has been a stressed environment for for senior uh, loans. Um, but on a relative basis, um, our our portfolio is holding up.
3: Got
4: it. Okay, that's good. That's it for me. Thank you.
3: Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Jeff Kwan from RBC Capital Markets. Your question, please.
5: Hi, good morning. Um, First question was just the OP4 IRR uh, has been uh, ticking up nicely. Just wondering if there's any comments you have on on how that's uh, stacking up versus peers, I, I can appreciate you may not have uh, any sort of numbers around Q3 yet, but just how that either, you know, the quartile, percentile trend has been uh, in recent quarters. It, yeah, Jeff,
1: I, I think it's, imp- it's important that we get those numbers um, because some, some of the PE firms that we're competing against obviously may have more consumer-facing um, exposure than, than we do. Um uh, really, what I'm most focused on is making sure um, we get we get to earn the carry in that fund. We're getting we're getting really close to that, as Chris and I both mentioned in our remarks.
5: Okay, uh, and then uh, my second question was just uh, on on slide 18, uh, where you you show the returns for your different COVID buckets um, on a quarter over quarter basis. I mean, the low positive impact was up 18%; it was 11% up for direct exposure, and then 9% uh, for those that had demand. Uh, and uh, demand supply headwinds. Now, uh, when I kind of look at that, those data points, um, you know, I kind of think the low positive bucket includes uh, some businesses that evidently would have done well uh, in Q3 given the recovery. But I'm just wondering, is the way to think about why the gains were lower for the companies most impacted by COVID is because even though there were reopenings and, and the economic growth was improving uh, the businesses that you would have in that bucket are ones that wouldn't ne- not necessarily have participated in the early stages of this recovery.
1: I think that's exactly right. Like so, if you think about an an ASM or an Emerald, right? Um, even though the economy is picking up, their their actual businesses haven't. Where, in the case of a Park Dean, once the park's open, the, they began generating, um, you know, very good revenue and profits, and and they they would be a contributor to, um, a, 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 you know, our positive growth this quarter. But by and large, the the businesses are directly impacted. They haven't really gotten the benefit of the recovery yet.
5: Okay, great. And just my last question, uh, just going back to the CLO uh, expected lower returns, um, I suspect that doesn't change your appetite in terms of doing new CLOs, but does that uh, impact your appetite in terms of how much um, you plan to invest in the equity tranche of the CLOs? Because I think with the regulatory changes – Um, I think it was last year, you don't have that requirement that you would have had, you know, from two to three years ago.
1: Yep. So our most recent CLO, CLO CLO20 in the U.S., we actually syndicated two-thirds of the equity up front. Um, So, you know, in terms of uh, the return on invested capital there, if you take into account the fee income, that ought to be be really attractive. And that doesn't mean um, we're going to syndicate the equity every time. But right now, just looking at the market and the pricing of the market, we thought that made sense. I do think overall the CLO business will become less capital intensive over time, and we'll, we'll do a better job taking advantage of syndicating that equity and, and creating a better ROE for that business.
5: Okay. Great. Thank you.
3: Thank you. And as a reminder, ladies and gentlemen, if you have a question at this time, please press star, then 1. Our next question comes in the line of Scott Chan from Catacord Genuity. Your question, please.
6: Please. Yeah, thanks a lot. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Bobby, you talked about OP4 um, and the performance. And outside the public marks that we see, uh, you kind of called out Park Dean and Power School. Um, But I'm just wondering kind of post-quarter now with the second wave, um, perhaps an outlook on those two businesses right now.
1: So Park Dean um, essentially shuts down their parks this time of year. So I don't anticipate a second wave here. Having any meaningful impact there. What we normally do in that business in the off season is, you know, capex projects, maintenance projects, and things like that, which I think we'll still be able to do. So very little impact there. And and the same with power school. I don't anticipate a second wave to to hurt power schools. As a matter of fact, in terms of its its um, in, in school um, ed- education tools, it might actually be better because that's what we, that's what we saw um, in the first wave of COVID. And just generally speaking, I think we're more prepared um, for a second wave overall in our businesses than we would have been in March. Um, We have the protocols and plans in place. Hopefully, it doesn't. The the wave isn't that big this time. But if it is, I think we'll be we'll we'll be more prepared this time around than last time around. But those those two businesses, in particular, I don't see it getting having a negative impact.
6: And just maybe moving over to question, Jeff. Um, You know, when you acquired the firm, the the annual net income, um, you know, at the time was was substantially higher than what you did this quarter. Uh, you kind of talked about lower fees to make a more competitive um, assets have been down, but how do you generate better earnings from uh, you that know, wealth management part of the part of the business?
1: I think the the, the way you you earn better. <laughs> um, the way you improve your earnings, we got to grow AUM, right? And the way we we grow AUM is by having, um, you know, we're having great product offerings and, and pivoting to to the wealth management strategy. All of our efforts right now are 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 trying to build that business into not only an asset manager but a but a world class wealth management firm in the Canadian market. And um, that's going to take some time. It's going to take some investment, in technology, um, but that is the plan. I think the Canadian market is is um, is ripe for offering like that for an independent wealth management firm. So have some patience. Have with, I think we'll get that on track, and we'll get the AUM growing.
6: And maybe just lastly on that, Bobby, um, you know, the cross-selling has been has been pretty good. Um, I stated from the start, I think you noted $570 million uh, to date. But um, if I look at the flows this quarter, the net outflows of almost $300 million, That that's almost like a, a double-digit annualized rate um did Did something in particular happen this quarter uh, with clientele or uh just kind of getting a read through on on kind of you know the visibility on, on future flow traction
1: No, there was nothing unusual this quarter and a, and a lot of the, the dollars that we did lose were not high fee paying dollars they were relatively low fee paying dollars um, but there's nothing I can point to as a cause or, or you know a cause for that um reaction nothing unusual
3: okay, thank you very much. Thank you. And this does conclude the question and answer session of today's program. I'd like to hand the program back to Bobby LeBlanc for any further remarks.
1: Thank you very much for participating today. Obviously, if you have any questions, feel free to follow up with Jill. Um, and I hope you all have a nice weekend.
3: Thank you. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for your participation at today's conference. This does conclude the program. You may now disconnect. You may now disconnect.
0: Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.
7: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life.